This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Cliff Eidelman, composer for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. I am Zach Moore. And I am Haley Stoddard, and this week we use the random button to select an episode to discuss. Uh, I'm kind of excited about it. We're going to talk about The Devil in the Dark. And the random button, by that I mean my kiddo picked the episode. So what do you guys think about this? I love the science. <laughs> yes, that's the science behind it. The science of 11. Yeah, this episode is actually the first episode I remember watching of the original series. I remember me and my parents went to Space Center Houston and I wore a Star Trek uniform, next gen uniform. This is what my mom made for me. Season one and season two with the little collars, right? Uh, and I ran around Space Center Houston in the Star Trek uniform. I came home and watched Star Trek and this was the episode. So I'm sure at some point in my life I had watched Star Trek before this, uh, but this is the my first vivid memory of a Star Trek episode that I watched was Devil in the Dark. I love that. <laughs> That's cute. You you were cute once, huh, Zach? Once once upon a time. Yes. Once upon a time. I'm sure mom still thinks you're cute. I get it. My mom says I'm special, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, of course, of course. And you are, Zach, you are. Yeah, no problem. Hey, this was a great episode to just randomly pull out. And it was funny because when we were talking about it or going back and forth with each other as to what random episode and, and all of that, how it was going to be done, I thought, uh, okay, uh, get ready to be prepared for any of 79 episodes. And I thought this was a great one for uh, for 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 Chloe to pull out. This this is a good one. This is a really good one. There's there's a lot of great things in this episode. And it was fun to rewatch it. And just, okay, you know, usually we get some time to prepare. And this one was, uh, you know, literally a day. And it's like, go! And uh, I, I, I this was kind of a, a good challenge for us. I'm, I'm glad she picked it. Yeah, you know, she was excited to pick it because I was like, well, I don't know how we're going to decide. And I, I was like, all right, pick a season. And then I pulled up an episode list of the season. And then I'm like, okay, pick an episode. And she's like, that one. I mean, it was like no question asked about what episode it was going to be. It's one of her favorites. I think actually it is her favorite from season one. But it's a good episode, right? There's a lot there. Um there's some funny moments, there's some very heavy moments, 
and uh, the science behind it's really cool. It is really cool. It's very Star Trek. It is. Yeah. It's uh, it's this this came after Arena, I think. Correct. You know, where you kind of had, yeah, it did. And then, because you kind of, yeah, it's the 25th, yeah, it's towards the end of the season. It was the 25th episode of the season. So it was towards the end, but it was, you know, Star Trek, by that point, you're starting to almost expect, okay, how is it going to spin? This isn't just going to be a lost in space, here's the monster, you know, shoot it type thing. Um, and, and I think they did a pretty good job with it. So here's, here's some things uh, that, that I found interesting about the episode, and then maybe we can kind of go from there. It starts off, you know, telling us that 50 people had been killed. That's a pretty high death count, you know, for, uh, you know, a ship to be on its way. You really don't know how isolated this colony is, but 50 people, um, that's, that's a lot. Uh, and the, the, then we, of course, we lost uh, Schmitter, who was the guy who was left all by himself. Uh, and they literally were walking maybe 20, 30 yards away by the time he got killed. And then um, he killed the reactor guy, and then he killed one, one, one person from the Enterprise. So only one real red shirt passed away in this, but 52 colonists died. Uh, this, this, this beast was um, definitely uh, in, uh, uh, you know, on, a, on a terror streak here to, to get some, some serious revenge. So that, that's a lot. I, I'm trying to remember a, a Star Trek episode where it wasn't like a, you know, a planetary type thing where so many people were, were said to be... Uh, killed by by one adversary one creature whatever it is that, that seemed to be pretty high yeah other than ships being destroyed like the intrepid yeah. or something like that and mini syndrome you don't really you're right it's not some massive you know massacre of people on a planet ken no not by just one thing right yeah uh so anyway that that thought that was kind of interesting uh, one of the other things I remembered while watching this episode is I had read uh, Leonard Nimoy's book, I, I Am Spock, and he talks about the fact that uh, William Shatner's father passed away while they were making this episode. And, uh, you know, they, they, he had to leave and went down to, I think it was Florida, over a weekend. And so there's a couple, this, this show, what really made me pay attention is just how really well edited it was. You know, there was only like one scene where it kind of clips forward where you think they're in the same room and they're in a different room when they're speaking. But otherwise, they really did a good job because uh, William Shatner had some stand-ins uh, while they were making this. And um, and even though it was a very uh, tough event, I mean, Shatner was stayed on. He, he got notified his father died and stayed filming for the day, left for the weekend, and they picked it right back up that Monday. But uh, he really... Um, he handled it very, very well, knowing the stress that he was under. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I've heard him talk about this in his books because, uh, as he'll say, he's like, look, this is a long time ago. I don't remember everything exactly in all these episodes, but if there's one episode I do remember, you know, the production of you know, most vividly is this episode because, you know, I got the call, finished the scene. Everybody was real supportive. I wanted to stay and, you know, finish the work. Cause you know, saving an extra four hours wouldn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, finish the work for everybody and leave. And, and you're right. It's interesting when you see the episode, uh, you can kind of see where they insert, once you know that they kind of edited this way, it's interesting, but it's, you know, you applaud their creativeness because they just insert these like reaction shots of Kirk watching Spock talk to the Horda and stuff. And it, t- it totally works. You would never know. So. No, yeah, no, I thought that that was um, that was pretty interesting. And then uh, you know they, they talked about Phaser One and Phaser Two, and phaser two. you know those, those differences I thought were were pretty cool. 
um, two-man teams. It's like the the colonists were not smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> the buddy, the buddy system buddy has system. been in place for centuries. All right. <laughs> yes, you know that that's kind of a a big rule of thumb. You know, you don't go swimming alone, and you don't go hunting the horda alone. Uh, this should be um, pretty pretty, I guess, embellished in people's minds and so forth. But the thing I liked the most about this episode, and then you know we'll start off on our discussions, was the whole Kirk-Spock dynamic in the beginning where Spock wants to save it, keep it for science, you know, figure it out and all that other stuff, even though logically, logically, considering what was at risk in the galaxy, it made sense to kill it, and how that completely turned uh, at one point in the episode, and then it was Kirk who was, no, and, you know, when, he, when he's face-to-face -face with it, and Spock is yelling at him kill to it, shoot it. Quickly. Kill it, yeah. kill it, yes, you know, all of that. And um, so I, I really like that dynamic. So those those were a few things that, that I pulled from it. I didn't mean not to go in order for anything, but uh, I figured the odds that you would come up with the same list were exactly 2,228.7 to 1. Approximately. <laughs> Approximately. <laughs> no, those are great. You know, I think one thing I really like... This episode opens up on the planet. We don't get, there's no, you know, soundbite of Kirk saying the star date or captain's log. And I really, I love that part. I like those opens like that. that that's, a, that's a great point, Haley, because I, I was going to mention that as well. Almost, I, I think Brett and I were talking about this when we did one of our commentaries. It's like, I, I wager, because there's, you know, there's 80 episodes of the original series, I, I'd wager about 60 of them start with the Enterprise flying through space and you're dun 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 It's like Captain's Log, right? Yeah. It's so many episodes. So it's refreshing to get, oh, here's a planet and here's a situation and you're just kind of thrown into it and you don't have like the context of your characters uh, yet to experience it. You're experiencing it with these people and I think that, that set things up differently than a lot of other episodes and it kind of made you take notice. Yeah, it is, and and I like those just kind of what are, they're probably considered one of the cold opens, right? Where it just throws you into yeah, the cold open or, or or teaser, yeah, yeah. Either, either term applies. So yeah, that's really great, and yeah, uh, Schmitter, I'm sorry, I if something's coming at me and I know it's coming at me, I'm gonna run, not just stand there and scream. <laughs> well, you know, fright, fright, uh, <laughs> fight or flight. Exactly. Right? Uh, he had, he chose uh, fright on that one uh, instead of fight or flight. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, that, that's a horror movie trope, right? It's like there's something like standing over, the, or, or like disaster movies, right? You're standing in a building like an antenna is falling off and you're going to go, ah, and stand there and wait for it to crush you until like Superman comes and saves you at the last second or you would have died. But I don't know. I, fortunately, I've never been in those situations and hope to never be. But I don't know how I, I'm not going to judge this guy. I don't know how I'd react if some... You know, Pizza Monster was coming at me at 100 miles an hour. So, who knows? It did look like Pizza the Hut, now that you say, from yeah. Spaceballs a little bit. But um, I, I tried to never Spock eat who's... Italian food when I watched this episode. <laughs> because it's yeah. like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at least you get a general idea where they got the uh, the conception for this thing. But I think one of the things, too, is in Spock says in a in a very future episode right um you know when when confronted with the unknown or you know with something terrifying humans do tend to hesitate and um you know that's kind of what happened there but you're right Haley. that was you know at least fire a shot something right something yeah i think in the time that he let out that scream he could have been shooting at the same time but they only had phaser one which might have been ineffective because the crew of the enterprise had phaser two 
So I, anyway, I like this. This this would usually be some kind of weird minutia thing. Like, oh, do you guys notice that like the little phaser and the big phaser? No, but they actually just spell it out in this episode. And I like that because, you know, I, I like that there's like a, again, there's like an internal universe logic. Like, here's your little phaser. And then you kind of combine it with this bigger thing, and it's Phaser Two. You know, I, I like that. And in Next Gen, they were completely separate. There was no like, here's here's the little Phaser that that goes into the bigger Phaser. But but on TOS, there was a there there was a you know, a technological logic to it, and, and and I like how that was like a plot point sort of in this episode when they're talking about what Phasers they have. They never brought out Phaser Three. I was really hoping to see the the Phaser rifle from where no man has gone before, but. Could, didn't pull right. that prop out of storage. Maybe it had been lost or destroyed, or who knows what. That would have been cool. If you're going to go on a hunting expedition, you think they bring out the big guns, you know? That's right. Yeah, yeah. you would have thought. Yeah. I don't remember any phasers in TNG. I remember dustbusters that threw some lights <laughs> out, but I don't remember any. <laughs> the re- remote, remote phasers. control phasers is what I always <laughs> saw them as. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you know, this. you mentioned, Ken, about how Spock in the beginning, you know, kind of wanted to study this creature and whatnot. Um, I found it interesting that in the scene where Spock is kind of, he's alluding to the fact that this creature is silicon-based, and when he first mentions it, Kirk's kind of got this look of like, what? And it's almost like bones, but then he turns around and he's like, yeah, I've heard the science on this, and it could be possible, and I'm just like, wait, your face just said that you were kind of surprised that Spock would even mention that, and now you're like, yeah, the science on it. And I'm like... Okay, what do you guys think about that? I think, you know, it's funny because when you read a lot of the um, the books on the origin of Star Trek and, and what was going on in the series, uh, now this is still season one, and I think in season two is when you really started to see, you know, Shatner get a little bit jealous of the fact that Leonard Nimoy was getting a lot more fan mail. And then there was a lot of um, pushing to make sure that, that Kirk had some intelligence, not just, you know, the handsome, swaggering guy. So I wonder if that was kind of the beginning of that, where they both had kind of an intellectual discussion going on. And so it goes down one road, then quickly, well, you know, Kirk's not an idiot. He knows some of these things, if it kind of spun. I don't know well, that's why, why that went through my head, but that's one of the things that kicked off. Uh, you're right. The reaction was not um, of one that was of, of a person that might have known something about the, the subject. But that, that makes sense, Ken. Like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that, too. <laughs> it's like, <"Sure>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> something that something that, that we've kind of touched on a little bit and i wanted to, to touch on it more depth here is is the setup of this episode is you have a, a a creature you don't understand it's killing people and as you said Haley, at the beginning spock's like oh we need to study it and kirk's like you oh, know we gotta kill it and it flips at the end and that's interesting in and of itself and contained in this episode but if you kind of zoom backward and you look at the first episode broadcast of star trek the man trap you have a very similar situation and it's treated more like, as you said, can like a lost in space situation, monster of the week. We got to kill it. This kind of thing. And I think it's interesting to see the kind of the evolution of like Star Trek, you know, the Star Trek philosophy or Star Trek brand when it comes to these sorts of things. Uh, because here we are, almost a full season later, and they kind of figure it out. All right, this is how our people would approach this, and this is what our philosophy is towards life. Although, you know, I, I will say, you know, that, so they killed the the M one hundred thirteen creature. Uh, but they, uh, the, but they were way more like you know, let's talk about this more with the Horda, and they ended up not killing it. At the and yes, they found they came to an understanding all that they tried to communicate. Although I will say, like in the grand scheme of things, if you just look at things as they are, it would have been way more like crucial to kill the Horda, <laughs> because we're talking about like this this thing is disrupting a production plant that has the planets are relying on. It's murdering like dozens of people, you know. 
uh, as opposed to the salt vampire over here, which is like, yeah, I killed a few people, but nothing's really like, there's no galactic stakes at this point, right? Um, and then you think you could communicate better with the humanoid creature that had telepathy than with the silicon-based life form that looks like a rock. Uh, but anyway, just it's, it's, these are interesting, like, A-B comparisons of, of things, and, and just in-universe and out-of-universe, I think it's interesting to see how one episode approached this very similar, just on the skeleton-wise, situation. You know, though, I will say, I think that is one of my favorite parts in this episode is when, not the first part where Spock is the pain, we get, you know, the meme, we have the pain, uh, and they turn it to Roxanne, but, um, but when he's actually got his hands and he's communicating via the Horta, I absolutely love that. I think it's beautifully shot, like the close-ups of, like, the back of Spock's head and, the way that the camera moves and stuff, I thought that was absolutely just beautifully done. Um, that whole scene is just really, really, really well done, I think. I mean, granted, yes, you'd, you'd say, okay, how can we communicate with basically a rock? Okay, that's a little far-fetched, but again, it's Star Trek. But I think overall, the script was really well done in that, and, and how it was shot was really beautiful. I, I I agree with you, Haley. I think that um, Nimoy put his heart into this one. You know, you could even see the, you know the veins in his temple popping when he was getting into it. You know, when he was um, emoting for the Horta. Horta. I said it very Boston, as my wife says. Don't don't don't. <laughs> we we tend to do that. If it ends in an A, we add an ER like pizza and things like that. Horta. You know, uh, it's very very Kennedy of me. But anyway, Horta. Uh, you really saw him dive into it and uh it's it's one of those things where i think as an actor you, you get these opportunities and think about the difficulty right i mean you're literally you know the monster's appearance and all that stuff was let's say interesting um they spent some money on the sets by the way they had to uh in, in order to create this look and be running around caves and whatnot i i, I can imagine it, it cost them quite a fortune and then they had to come up with the monster which you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a guy on all fours, right? Who's got like a big, rocky, hairy thing over the top of him, and and Correct. then you have to be able to, you know, act as if this is you know very legitimate. I, I don't it, to be able to suspend disbelief, dive into the scene the way he did. I, it was very powerful. You know what I mean? It it almost was like I. I I know a lot of people outside of Star Trek are like, what, are you kidding me? You know, but I think for us, we, we look at this and we go, yeah, well, you know, we're looking at more what this represents than how it looks. And um, and, and Nimoy sold it, man. He, he really did a great job on that. Yeah. Well, and I like I like also the, the music and the sound effects when when the Horda is coming around. Like, they, I, I appreciate what they do. It sounds like, you know, it's got, like, millipede or centipede feet, you know, with, like, lots of lots of feet is kind of what it sounds like to me. Um, so that's that's something else that I, I really appreciate when, when the Horda is, even if it's not on camera, you hear it, the, the sound effects and the music that they play is really great. Yeah, to your point, Ken, about the, like, who, who was under this thing, it was a guy named Janice Prohaska. And he, he kind of sold Robert uh, Justman on it by showing up in the offices with this costume because he was like a creature guy. He worked on like the Outer Limits and stuff. And and I'm not sure if they had named Janus Six after him or not, uh, the planet. Uh, they spell it with a U in the episode. His name is spelled with an O. But um, 
he uh he actually goes on to play the Magatu later on in Star Trek as well. So he, he's a creature guy. You know, I think uh, it was it, it was original. I can't take anything away there, and uh, no kill eye, so it can, you know, it can secrete some pretty good lettering there. And um, yeah, that that's really pinpoint accuracy uh, acid burning right there. That so is pretty it. pretty good. And but I I, I like the I like the whole thing. I, I I really did. I thought it was um like I said, it was it was definitely very clever, uh, the way it was filmed. But you know, Haley, you mentioned the music. There were a couple of times. Now I'm watching this movie. I'm sorry, TV episode, the whole time. And um, every once in a while, you heard this this bass sound, which is the same sound as when somebody's getting examined in sick bay. You know, the heartbeat that boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. Yeah, yeah. That popped up a few times, and I, I was actually looking to the left and the right, going, "Is there somebody going through an exam in the room?" I mean, it literally, <laughs> the sound it was exact. And I don't, you know, I'd, I'd really have to look to see how often that was used. But I, I don't know if they were trying to, you know, use that 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 little one or two note, you know, um, trick that they do. You know, whether it's Jaws, Halloween, all those different shows. You know, like okay, cre- creatures know, nearby. That but boom, boom, boom. It it is funny. It is the exact sound though of the uh, the heartbeat that you hear when you're on the exam table. Well, a lot of times they mix the uh, well, they don't mix, but they they use musical instruments using the soundtrack to make sound effects so that's very possible that they you know kind of borrowed some for for the score and not just the sound effects i think they did in this case yeah and i think with that i think you hear that sound when um the horda is like the little i if we're going by pizza it looks like the sausage sections yeah <laughs> Just, just keep ruining pizza for me. Yeah, so. um, but when it's everybody kinda... knows exactly what you're talking about the sausage. <laughs> <sections>. <laughs> uh, but I think when it's kind of that undulating movement, that's when you hear that kind of that heartbeat sound. I think is when when it's when it's pulsating. Can... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say one moment that I absolutely love because Scotty is my second favorite TOS character. Scotty gets to jerry-rig stuff in this episode, and it's really fun. <laughs> uh, didn't he word it as my, my miraculous construction has failed or something? I mean, he, he made it sound like he, he did this great. It was funny. It was really funny the way he put yeah. it. You know, that, uh, well, and it's just like, you know, they've, you think of a mining, a planet that's mining stuff. They try to keep the technology up to date or or more advanced than what would be on our starship because they've got to mine stuff but he's like i haven't seen this stuff in like what 20 some odd years or something like that and you're just like oh man you know also you think redundancy would be important and like you don't have a backup plant uh, pump on this planet okay all right good good thing we came by uh and how did the horde steal that guys does anybody remember how anybody have any thoughts on that nope no. Um, there's a lot of things there's a lot of things going on in that undercarriage. <laughs> <laughs> because when you first when you first and I think we've talked about this before, Ken, when we talked about the horde on, on a couple episodes, but when you when you don't know what the creature looks like and you see it kill people and it's called the devil in the dark, right? You think it's gonna be some kind of like gargoyle monster or something, right? With hands, hands and, and yeah. yeah. And instead you see it like rear up and kill some guy. And you're like, well, does it the horde rear up like that? That's ugh, that's creepy. Uh, but the, yeah, how does it, it has no opposable appendages? So I'm not sure how it like stole the pump. But that be that as it may, without damaging it. Yeah, it's per- in perfect condition. Oh yeah, here it is back. No acid burns on it. Yeah, it's fine. You know, just like you unscrewed it from the thing. You know, really carefully. And anyway, because this is a good episode, we're gonna let that go. This is a bad episode. We'd be like, this is so stupid. 
but it's a good episode, so it's fine. Well, we just don't know. Like I said, we you know it, it never goes turtle, so you never really do see what goes on underneath. Maybe maybe it ha- maybe it has like a like a squid tentacle that comes there out. There you go. And like grab. There we go. Done. Head cannon. Done. Next problem. Bring it on. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Solved. Yeah. So you know we get we get the fame we get like two things two lines in this film. One of them I really like. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal, mm-hmm. which Kirk says, which is completely true. I live in the Gamma Quadrant. There's lots of animals, and there is nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. But then we get McCoy's, by golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. And who does not know that line? Well, you should if you listen to Standard Orbit every week. No, that's right, because <laughs> I put it in the intro. It's in the intro, that's right. Uh, it is because you know when, when I was making the intro, you know, for the, the new intro that we have on our on our version of Standard Orbit here, I wanted to like pick lines that were kind of iconic but kind of not. It's like not. He says, "I'm a doctor, not bricklayer." Right? I'm like, "Oh, that's a good one." Right? But like, I can cure a rainy day. That's like the hilarious to me because <laughs> it's just like that's how good I am as a doctor. I just think it's just a hilarious way to to point it out. So, well, I think the line before that, Haley, is also pretty good. Right? When he says, "I'm not a doctor, I'm a bricklayer," he said, "You're a healer. Mm-hmm. There's your patient." Yeah. Right, he completely um, cut him. Right, uh, you know, and McCoy had you know had nothing to say. You're a, this is your job. Figure it out. Yeah, you're, exactly. Yep, you're a healer. There's your patient. It. That's an order. I think is actually what yeah. he said. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, bottom line was it doesn't matter. And and I thought that line, although it was, um, I, I I really didn't catch it or hold on to it as being something special. That was a great leadership take charge, no more excuse, BS line. It really was. It was a great line to, to throw at McCoy, who usually has the last word. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, what do you say after he's dead, Jim, anyway? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks. But uh, in all honesty, that was, a, that, was, that was a great line. You know, you're a doctor. You know, you're a healer. There's the patient. Go. You know, I mean, as much as we don't say Starfleet is military, you know, you're you're asked to do something, you're told to do something, you do it. You don't question it when it's your superior officer. Who says Starfleet isn't military? I've never said it isn't military. <laughs> no, once. I haven't either. Starfleet is a humanitarian peacekeeping armada. That's right. Guys. That's right. But I, uh, you know what? It's it's funny because this weekend uh, I've been tweeting out quite a bit because I've had some downtime, which is nice. And uh, they've been running the TOS movies on stars. So I, you know, they they had two, three, four going. And they had six this morning. I, you know, got up and uh, that that was that was running. And it's like all over the place. Is it you know, uh, scientists have always been pawns of the military and this that and the other. Thing. It's like now, nah, okay. But it is it is funny. And I, I I do know what you're saying, Haley. That um, uh, I I think I think it's fair to say it's it's definitely a military run organization and people do follow orders. You know and. Uh, it's important. It, even when you're friends, right? Because I mean, McCoy and Kirk are friends, and usually it's like they're just going back and forth about stuff. And when Kirk's like, hey, no, look, I know I know we're buddies, but I'm in charge, so you have to do this. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do yeah. it now. You know, because you got to mix that friendship with the with the um, hierarchy of chain of command there with them, too. That's right. And that's why it's funny, because um, if you look at TNG, and I'm not hopping the wall, but what to me what's very interesting is they set it up as more of an exploration vessel but it's actually more military than the tos as far as structure rank and protocols and uh and, and you know you see this once in a while in tos you see that a lot in tng so it is kind of funny the dichotomy between the series because the ship is more like a warship in tos um and it's more of a science vessel in tng and uh, that's just kind of funny to me 
Whatever the, is there still a cartography on the original series Enterprise? I wonder what that would look like. I think they just pull the map out of the wall quite like they did in this episode and take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> that map, right? Here are all the tunnels. You know, it's like, like you're watching the, the subway, you know, uh, map or whatever. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a single thing labeled, but uh, I liked when Spock was pointing out the attacks were here, here, and here. He basically made a triangle. <laughs> With absolutely, yeah. there's there's absolutely nothing to 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 give you any kind of reference point that it's anything. That was brilliant. I, I love it. I, I love yeah. the '60s stuff. It it is just so cool. You know, I I do I do like the, the how he has the horde egg on there. Obviously, before they know what it is, yeah. uh, like like nodes or modules or as they call them. And uh, you know, if I have a really big office one day with a really big desk, I think I'll get a replication of that and just put it on my desk and see what people. See what people say. That's a, that'd be a really good Star Trek litmus test. <laughs> it's like, all right, do you know what this is? Then we'll be friends. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that would be kind of cool to have. Yeah, and you just obscure enough, you know, where normal people won't think I'm a nerd or something, but nerds will think I'm the coolest guy ever. So that's that's the key. That's the zone I like to live in, right there. So, <laughs> hmm. can you build it? Can you can you put in that built-in chart? Uh wall piece or whatever it is like yes kind of... that, that'd be another the other giant artwork behind my desk will be the will be the chart of the jana six uh mines there you go as well I'd like that and i'll just pull... hey, all right guys these are our projections for this year we need to hit here here and here <laughs> that'd be great yes please put a pin in any place you've traveled <laughs> how the hell do i figure this out just oh, make man. a triangle uh i will say one thing that is really kind of silly their belts on their uniforms like, why does it go under their, like, shirt in the front? It's very Star Trek motion picture-like, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought so, too. The jumpsuits? Yeah. Yeah. So as well. It's like, what, why? And then there's only the one dude that has the purple one. I'm like, why is he in well, purple? Well, I thought, see, that's the thing. Civilian clothes, I mean, not civilians, but non-Starfleet clothing on Star Trek has always been a tricky thing. And uh, and so, okay, you got blue, yellow, and red. So you're like, all right, what colors are left? Uh orange and purple i guess that's what these guys are going to be wearing you know that's like they're looking at the color wheel <laughs> they just pick those because that's you know i guess green was left too but they use that for some other you know scientists and whatnot over the course of the show but uh not many colors left and and you know that, that that's that's why i think they chose the colors because they needed to make it very clear who was on the enterprise and who was from the planet you want to know something really obscure the chief had a wallet in his back pocket and i just kind of chuckled at that really yes Yes. I didn't notice. It was, now very, have to dis- watch it it again. was very discernible, and I just went. I don't think he was supposed to put that in, in his pocket. Um, I, but I thought that, I gotta go. Yeah, look, it's look pretty. Yeah. yeah, you'll see it right in the first scene. I just was like, oh wait a minute, that's that's where we've gone now, folks. Yep, it's that's like uh, that's like Charlton Heston wearing his watch in the Ten Commandments. I've never seen it, but allegedly, like when he, there's some scenes where he's Moses. He has his watch. On. Oh, is that I right? I haven't been able to. Yeah. I haven't been able to pick it out. I'm not sure which scene it is. Oh, but uh, okay, this will be know? a little more obvious. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you got to have your ID. Mm-hmm. You know what? One thing that was kind of interesting to me: we finally get like an older security officer. He's got gray and silver hair. Usually, they're all these young guys, right? And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Of course, you know, some of our security would have to be older because it's security. You'd want someone who has tons of experience in security. Why would you have all these young guys all the time? So I like that. Now, is he referred to as the security chief? Yeah. Okay. Because this is the only kind of guy that ever fits that description. That's right. And he was, uh, they even mentioned he was lieutenant commander. Uh, his mm-hmm. his sleeve showed commander. But, um, yeah, he was he was a senior officer in charge of security, yeah. First and last time we see it, yeah. 
and then he got promoted to be a Commodore and be in charge of the Lexington by next year. Isn't that right, guys? Was that Bob Wesley? Is that the same guy? That was Bob Wesley. It's the same actor. Oh, I didn't realize that. Bob really? Wesley, so. No, I did not pick I'm up sh- on that. No. Nope. I'm sure there I'm sure there's some novels saying they're brothers or cousins or something <laughs> like that. Because you know in um you know how uh, Mark Alimo played Gold Dukat, right? But he played Golma Set first on TNG. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so and so in the DS9 relaunch novels, like Golma Set is like his cousin. <laughs> you know? Uh. <laughs> So I'm sure there's, if there hasn't been, I'm sure at some point well, somebody somewhere was, said, oh, well, they're family trees and whatnot. What was his, it was it was an Italian last name, right? DeMarco, something like that. So, yeah, Giotto's Gio, or yeah, Giotano. Like or, yeah, yeah, so it's not close to Wesley. Gino's East, I think, was his name. No, it's not, it wasn't, wasn't uh, close to Wesley, that's for sure. So right. I don't know. Cousins, then. they're cousins then, settled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not by marriage. No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people think about you, know, you think about your Mark Leonard's and your your guys like that, but there are other there are other character actors who pop up as multiple characters on on the original series. So, well, would you guys have liked to see a security chief on the Enterprise? You know, because obviously there's they're not. I mean, it's funny. You look at these Star Trek dot com polls sometimes. It's like, who is your favorite security officer? It's like Chekhov. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, he he did security like in the motion picture, I think maybe in tactical. That's it. There was no security chief. On the original, other than, you know, this episode, right? So would you have liked to see a character in that function, or do you think it's just been too crowded as it is? You got guy, you got people like Sulu and, you know, Uhura that barely have enough to do as it is. You get another character in there, it takes away from them. I, and where would they have sat? On the bridge, I don't know. So what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I think if you had a combined... Well, well, listen, what they were trying to drive here was, you know, less of the... Uh, uh, the wartime type mindset, but usually you have an operations officer or a weapons officer, and it's dual hatted, which includes security, like you kind of see in TNG, and um, it, it wouldn't have worked in the original show to to have you know because they just rotated those characters all the time. You know, I honestly don't think if if Star Trek was as popular as it was, any of us would have really remembered the supporting crew as you know the well, Scotty would probably be it, and then below that we would have been. Who are those guys? You know, because it just—they were so inconsistently used. That Russian guy who's there sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, I think they did it right in the motion picture. I thought that was kind of cool where they coordinate right, weapons, security, all that other stuff. That is, you know, a an important role that should be, and was. You know, legacy was on all the other series to a degree, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it would have worked in to the the original series. My opinion. Yeah, I'm trying to think of of exactly where the person would be. I mean, I could see it if they didn't necessarily have a spot on the bridge, but like every time a security op came up, they were always on the away mission or or whatever, and like you, so you had that consistency in that regard. Maybe it would work. Like the Makos on Enterprise or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but but as far as like a a spot on the bridge, I don't I don't see that happening on. TOS because again there's where and and like Ken said you know there was too many people with their roles switching out or we were getting different people every week so that wouldn't work but I think in that regard it might where it's like oh okay you know you've got your chief security officer and either he sends somebody or he's always on the away mission when Kirk, Spock, and Bones beam down you know that consistency might, might work might have worked in the show but as far as anything else goes now. And one thing I will mention, uh, at the end of the episode, we do not have Uhura at Com. It's a dude. Really? Yeah. 
I think this is one of the episodes where we don't see her sitting on the bridge at the end of the episode. Because there's only, there's only the opening shot. There's only the one shot on the bridge where Kirk is talking to Scotty and telling Scotty to come down and fix the thing. And you're seeing where Scotty usually stands over the other red shirt that's sitting at his station. At his spot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then um, the only other scene is at the end where, you know, Kirk and Spock are, and Bones are bantering about, you know, his communications with the Horda and how the Horda thinks people look and stuff. And you can say, you can see calm behind it, and it's not Uhura. Yeah, this is only, uh, I, I know Doomsday Machine she's not in, and I know Turner about Intruder she's not in. Uh, but I'm sure there are other random little episodes like this where it's like, well, do we really want to pay Nichelle Nichols this week to just sit there for for one scene <laughs> to do background? Maybe you know? a minute, if that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not very long. Yep. But There were no hailing frequencies to open this week. There were none. Is that is that how it works out? Because I really don't know. I thought, were they under contract and they only got paid if they were in the episode? Well, uh, you know, other than um, Shatner Nimoy, Right, McCoy was even kind of a he had like a contract for a certain amount of episodes, and they that's why he's not in like three episodes of the first season, and they eventually made him a regular. Uh, and then I think everybody else was like, it was like a a call you as we need you kind of thing. Like it was, I think Sean Nichols had like I don't know some like we're gonna pay you a thousand dollars a week or something like that uh, for seven weeks, and then we'll see what happens there. There, there were very different. The contracts back then were very different than TV these days, because these days it's like all right, here's our we got eight characters, right? Uh, five of them are going to be in all 22 episodes, and the other three are going to be in 13 episodes. And then we'll have, like, a special guest star every now and then. But back then, it was like, here, here's our two main characters. <laughs> you know, everybody else is just, you know, rotating through. And if we like you, you'll be back a lot. Because, you know, you got guys like, you know, Eddie Paskey, you know, sitting there at, at, at the comm or, or in security or not, not the comm, but the, the helm, the con, you know. And he's in more episodes than, like, you know, George Takei or Alter Koenig. But he doesn't do anything. He's just there. Uh, so I think they're different. And then if people say lines, right, extras don't say lines. So they get paid less. Like, Eddie Paskey really had any dialogue. But when George Takei is there and he's, like, involved in the story, he gets paid a lot more. So when Sean Nichols' fee was higher, uh, I think they wanted to keep her for her vocal talents, you know, as well. Because uh, she obviously, in the beginning of the first season, they, they she sang a lot more. And they kind of, like, phased that out. Uh but uh, but I think her 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 fee was higher, and that was a point of contention. But they really wanted to keep her around because she was like, "Hey, look, I can go." You know, she she was gonna leave the show, right? As everybody knows that story. But she, she's a she was an accomplished singer. She could have gone and made more money doing that on the side, but then you know kept around for Star Trek. And there, I think there's one. Uh, I think the Doomsday Machine actually was one instance where she was like, uh, "I'm gonna go sing." And they're like, "All right, fine, we'll just replace you with somebody else." And I'm like, "Okay, never mind. I'm gonna be back now." <laughs> like the, she, you know, they tried to show her that everybody was replaceable on the show and she didn't miss another episode to the very end, which can you blame her for not being in turnabout intruder? I can't. I cannot. So there you have it. I cannot. But I, okay. That was interesting. Cause I remember when Takei was making the green berets. You may have heard of that. Um, I, I know I'm not familiar with that. You know, movie. Go ahead. <laughs> that, uh, you know, it ran over and he was late and they gave him, you know, all the time he needed that type of thing. Cause he was committed to star Trek and they just gave all the lines to Walter Koenig while he was out that type of thing. And I know that that created a little riff when he came back, but um, so that made me think, okay, he is under contract. They're forgiving him, whatever. Um, so they might not be paying him. I, I just, yeah, all that stuff is, it's really interesting to me. Uh, I don't know why. I, and today I, you, you say it's, you know, I've heard it's, it's only gotten worse because, uh, you know, the, the, the amount extras gets paid is way, way down from what it used to be in the seventies, eighties and nineties. You know, I was, saw a documentary on kind of the, um, the B-list actors or something, and it's just interesting how 
because there's such a glutton in supply and demand, that type of thing and, and whatnot. And the way they've restructured contracts where just, you know, it's funny because Hollywood, if it isn't the, the most hypocritical place on earth, I don't know what is. Um, but, it, you know, because what they espouse in terms of uh, things politically is not how it works in Hollywood. So all the money goes to the critical few. And then the rest get the scraps, you know, and there's there's no fighting for those folks because they want all the money they can get if you're if you're the top of the line. So it is kind of funny how that works. That was a fun tangent. Hey, somebody yes! had to go there. <laughs> somebody had to go there. But there were no residuals, right, in the 60s. No, no syndications, yeah. nothing like no, you know, I think that's a big thing Nimoy had, you know, about uh, his the use of his image with Roddenberry. You know, they had, they had some battles in the 70s Just a about couple, that, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, that got ugly. So. That got real ugly. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah. The devil in the details. Mm. There it is. <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Ken. <laughs> All right. What are your final thoughts, folks? I think this is an episode where it's one of those that even if you're not a Trekkie, you can watch it, and I think you'd get something out of it. I think it has a lot of those... Uh, Federation values and the science and the sci-fi and everything else that that we love about the series and that we love about the show and all the different iterations of it. Um, I It's a really good episode, and I'm totally glad that my kiddo decided to pick this one. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I think that uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I think it had all the elements that you could enjoy. It had action. It had suspe- suspense. Um, it had uh, the right mindset that goes with Star Trek. So, you know, if you want to be fully entertained and have all those aspects come together in one episode, this is one that does it, right? You you literally, if you're, if you're watching this for the first time, where this is going is uh, challenging and, and where it ends up is is wonderful. And, and you know, they, they really outdid themselves, I think. It was a, a well-written episode, a well-executed episode, and uh, and and a lot of fun. So I'm completely on board with what you're saying, and 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 thanks, kiddo, for for pulling this episode out. This was a good random way of doing it. Yeah, Ken, to your point, like the, the journey this episode takes you on, like it does kind of take a left turn. You're like, oh, and you have, you have to really reconsider where where your stance was on on this situation. And you know, that, that can it's not just about like aliens or whatnot. It's 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 about like the other, right? We're talking about here, like you know, you have this mob mentality at the end, like, oh, right, we're gonna go kill it. Like, no, 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 it's different than you. Right, doesn't mean it's evil or bad. Right, we just need to help understand each other, and that you know, you 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 peel that back and you talk about you know race relations or culture or any of that stuff, and that's the great thing about science fiction and this this package of, you know, alien monster and and you know people on a mining planet. You just transpose that to nineteen sixties America, and there you go. You know, with we recently talked about let that be your last battlefield. That one is a little more bonk bonk on the head because you know from the minute these guys show up, like oh I know what's I know what's going on here, <laughs> you know. But with this one, you were you were on board with the like the mob mentality of this is an evil that needs to be destroyed. I don't understand it, but it's messing up my life. I don't care what's going on over there. It's messing me up. Uh, I come first and whatever, right? But instead, it's like no, let's let's communicate. Let's figure this out together. And then and then the ultimate instruction message at the end, they're going to help each other out because all these 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 babies that the horde is having can mine for these miners and they can access all new kinds of parts of the planet and, and materials and all this stuff. So the, it's the mutual beneficial relationship between the two of them coming together. It's, it's, it's a win-win for both of them, mm-hmm. right? Instead of them destroying each other, so they have been up, up to this point. So so there you have it. It's a great Star Trek message. Definitely, like, if you want to show somebody an episode of, like, what Star Trek is all about, this is on the list. And it's a great episode. 
It is. It's amazing because you can identify with, you know, there's going to be people who automatically identify with Spock and this, we need to understand it. There's going to be people who are automatically going to identify with the miners and Kirk and no, it needs to be destroyed. And, and you go on that journey and people can flip and change and then flip and change again. And, and that's what's beautiful about it. Just like yeah, it, it's yeah. it's okay to change your mind. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Oh no, this is what I've been thinking, and I have to stick with it. No, it's this one shows you. No, it's okay for people to go back. Both of them, right? To go back and forth. That's that's a great point, Haley. That's the best part of it. I think that's the best part of it is um, we can learn as we go. You know, your your positions can change. It's okay, world. As you look at Fandom. things, not to get stuck in groupthink and us against them and always this and that, that you can learn and grow and make better decisions with good data. I know that's a foreign concept, but it's a great one. Exactly. All right. Well, the devil in the dark isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look. What else you might have missed elsewhere on the network? Previously on Trek.fm, continuing mission. You know, another production, and now another fourth. I'd yeah, <laughs> but now they are, and that in itself seems to me to be laying the the roots or the basis for something that could grow bigger sometime in the future. I mean, let's get this one out of the way, and then see where it goes <laughs> from there. But but now you have a collective. Earl Grey. <laughs> Detecting Romulan life. Forms. Oh, sorry. Did you say there are Romulan life forms? Yes. No, I said there was there 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 used to be. So used you, to be you, you detect fate signs. Form. What have you guys created? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So there are life forms. Interesting. Fascinating. I was 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 life forms. They're gone now, but there was traces of life forms that were present at the um, at the shuttlecraft. Oh my goodness. Dead Starfleet officers, dead Romulans. This isn't really helping much, is it? <laughs> Standard orbit. This episode is emblematic of how it wanted to grab the bull by the proverbial horns and, and wrestle those kinds of issues to the ground and serve as an example of, uh, of where a certain subset of people stood at the time in trying to react to the craziness of their own world. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I just continuously love about this show. The 602 Club. And that's the thing. I, I think you need a movie like this because most of the time when we think about astronauts and the, the, these heroes who do these extraordinary things, um, we're painting with a very broad brush. Um, e even in the right stuff, which, uh, like I said, it at least gives you some differences in the personalities of those guys. This is like you know the, this master class in the in the psychology of this one particular person and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcast if you're an apple user get the show on itunes or the apple podcast app be sure to hit the subscribe button that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. 
or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.